0: Part of our thing tonight is to discuss and kind of interact more about the uh, text we looked at this morning, but I also want to um, kind of address an issue that might be coming up in your minds. Have you heard about what's happening in Asbury, at Asbury University in Kentucky? Uh, Asbury is a a Methodist uh, Christian university. Uh, but not Methodist like Southern Methodists. It's more of a conservative Methodist, but not, not hyper-conservative. To, I'm not quite sure where to label it. Uh, point, I put this, these uh, pictures up here. Any idea who the fellow on top is? Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck. Uh, down to the bottom left, you see uh, CBN, Christian Broadcasting Net- Network. And on the right, Tucker Carlson. And if you didn't recognize his face, you could see right there on the screen. So, he's Fox News, right? And so all that to say, um, this was a quick look. I've been hearing it in the news in various places, uh, secular and Christian. And so it struck me, this is really becoming a bit of a news thing. I thought I saw a flash here. Now, I heard today
1: it also was going on at Cedarville Bible College. Interesting. Yeah, or a similar type thing. Um.
0: <clears throat> okay, so let me try this, and then this. It kind of went off. We Lobster. There we go. So it's that. So what happened? And I I can't remember exactly when when maybe it's been eight or nine or ten days. Uh, they were having the their regular uh, Wednesday chapel. And after chapel, about 20 students said they wanted to continue to worship, and they continued, and that went on for a couple hours, and the president of the university put out an email saying, um, if you want to join them in the chapel, go ahead. Asbury's had, they report something like eight revivals in the history of their school. And so they were welcoming in their response to that, kind of encouraging. Well, they, they continued, and they just stayed on in the chapel, and They've been continuing, I think, twenty four seven since then. I believe it's tonight they're gonna uh, going to bring it to a halt as far as the twenty four seven worship, uh, because uh, frankly, it's overwhelming their facilities. They have dams coming up. Uh, people are coming from around the world. Uh, the town in which they abide in Kentucky is uh, small, about five thousand or less population. And so one article I was reading said that um, they literally don't have enough bathrooms for all the people that have come to Kentucky. (laughs) And I'm not going to go any further and say, well, that's Kentucky, but we're just going to leave that one and say, um, (laughs) but all that to say. So in other words, it's an interesting thing. Is it a revival? How are we to think about it? I I haven't, I don't really know what's going on entirely I've looked if you can go on YouTube and you can see live streaming and I've done that oh four or five times for a couple of minutes that is not what I would call significant research okay um, I have never seen anything but uh, in the live streaming just playing music and people you know participating or watching my reaction typically what I've noticed is that when I turn it on okay so not scientific, all right. It may, may not be a fair representation, but it seems like it's the kind. It's just kind of. Uh, it strikes me. as like almost hypnotic. It's the uh, the kind of choruses with about three words that you keep repeating and repeating and repeating, and there's and there's a lot of swaying and moving, and um. And I can see it's a very emotional experience happening. I read an article somewhere of someone saying that um, they're, a young person in their family uh, has walked away from the Lord. And apparently her testimony was that she'd grown up in the church and then one day she went to a Taylor Swift concert. And I've been to, well actually probably exactly zero Taylor Swift concerts. <laughs> so again, I have no research on that. but But after a two-hour concert, she noticed she was having the same emotional response that she had when she worshipped, mm-hmm. and then she realized <clears throat> that wasn't God, and so she walked away from it. Yeah. Um, just ha- so, so, the, so that kind of hypnotic, you know, thing just says to me: Is this really um, the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. I told you, Asbury's a Methodist school, so it's interesting, I, I've got in my files this quote from Charles Wesley, and, and he has some grounds to speak from a Methodist perspective, wouldn't you agree? Uh, he, he said this, he, this is from his journal. I preached at seven to 100 or 200 people, many of whom seemed full of good desires, but there is, as there is no society, no church, you know, I expect No deep or lasting work, and since there's no church for them to join, I can't continue. Mr Evans now gave me an account from his own knowledge of what was made what has made a great noise in Wales. It is common in the congregations attended by by mister WW and one or two other clergymen after the preaching is over for anyone that has a mind to give out a verse of a hymn. This they sing over and over with all their might, perhaps above thirty, yea forty times. Meanwhile, the bodies of two or three, sometimes ten or twelve, are violently agitated. They leap up and down. I saw that going on, too, at the um, <laughs> at what I clicked on in my live streaming things. In all manner of postures, frequently for hours together. I think, Wesley says in response to that, there needs no great penetration to understand this. They are honest, upright men who really feel the love of God in their hearts, but they have little experience. Either of the ways of God... Or of the devices of Satan. So he serves himself of their simplicity in order to wear them out and to bring discredit on the work of God. Wow. So Wesley wasn't too oppressed with that kind of a, uh, emotional response to highly repetitive music. Um, so that to me is one warning. You know, just uh, it's, it's not enough to have. I have not once turned on live and seen any kind of preaching That's all. Music. So I went to another authority that I trust, Jonathan Edwards. He was involved in the Great Awakening. And there were questions and problems at that time under Jonathan Edwards. Not that maybe directly related to him, but just generally the Great Awakening. There were some extreme reactions. And so he did a careful biblical study, and he started with, from First John 4, and said, you know, test the spirits. And so um, we are to test the spirits. And he said, these are the five marks of revival. Genuine revival. Jesus is exalted in the revival. The Holy Spirit acts against the influence of Satan's kingdom by preaching sin and repentance. Again, I've not seen any time where there was preaching, but I understand there has been. Uh, One thing that's interesting to me is that some of that has been from women. And I understand some of the worship leaders are um, Well they're described as the Q and LGBTQ um, And there's are students there uh, But so the Holy Spirit acts against the influence of Satan's kingdom By preaching sin and repentance Sensitive to the dreadful nature of sin sens- Sensitivity to God's holy wrath and judgment for sin Personal awareness awareness of one's own miserable condition People become aware of God's pity and help in Christ. So he's describing a spirit. True awakening comes with a, a true spirit of repentance, which is an awareness of sin, a turning from sin, a grateful turning to the Lord. The Bible is exalted and held in high regard in true revival. Sound doctrine is taught and promoted. Um, when speaking of his preaching, I think of the revival, the great awakening in, under the they, use, they usually We usually say the Great Awakening began in America in 1740 when Jonathan Edwards preached Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, about a two-hour sermon or so. And so, um, the Bible is exalted and held in high regard. Sound doctrine is taught and promoted. The spirit of understanding and truth opposes spirits of falsehood. Love to God and man is promoted. Love that the Spirit promotes is no ordinary love. It is divine love, focused and patterned on Christ and his love. The best way to differentiate true love from counterfeit love is self. Counterfeit self love is humility, which is the surest evidence. So those. So I just say these are some tests. I I, what what they generally say is is sometimes you have to step back and look back and say, was that awakening? You know, Um, is God moving in this? Is is can is God moving in some of the hearts that are there? Uh, Could very well be. Is this from the Lord? Um, I don't want to say no. I want to say um, I have some cautions when I look at it. And it's not, um, not something that I'm, uh, I'm wary of. Testing, I think it's time to test the spirits. And some of the things I've been noticing um, yeah. are, are concerned to me. Uh, I, I think in the Great Awakening, uh, true revivals, there has been a lot more focus on the preaching of the word, but people just can't get enough. Give us more. Give us more of God's word, God's truth, that we can see God. Um, so that's what I have to say about that. All that to say, I really don't know. Here are some measures to consider, uh, and we shall see where it develops. Any comments or thoughts?
1: I was just going to add that what I heard about Senior Bill it sounds to me, it was just a little bit, but it sounded more like this kind of a revival than the, the other one. but
0: That's Cedarville, not. Cedarville is a more what I would call consider a more biblically grounded uh, school than than Asbury. Mm I think I think I think Asbury would be described uh, in the evangelical spectrum, but not not on the right, not on the conservative side of that evangelical spectrum as much. For example, having an LGBTQ whatever uh, student group on campus and uh, women preachers, whatever. So. So that would be, Cedarville, might be a, a different influence, and, and so so, it's hard to say, isn't it? When, when the Holy Spirit's working, can people be deeply moved, emotional, uh, during uh, when, when the Holy Spirit's working? Yeah, yeah. So it's you know you can't just say well they're being emotional. all. Well, uh, that doesn't deny it's of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't prove it's of the Holy Spirit. So that's why we look at some of these other things. Time will tell. Time will tell if there's truly a, an, a, a purifying awakening among them. So, but at least so you know, you'll hear about what's going on in Asbury. There's some thoughts on it. Yes, sir.
1: Wouldn't you think mm-hmm. that from that you would hear about people being saved if it was truly of God?
0: Yes, uh, and, and and I think I have heard that there have some people have have professed faith in Christ. I've, I've heard differing. some say, well, there's lots of preaching of the gospel, and others are saying, I have yet to hear a full expression of the gospel, um, so I, again, I'm not, I can't say, speak to that, but yes, you would, if it's truly an awakening, you will see conversion, uh, and you will see uh, a spirit of repentance and humility and, and uh, turning from sin uh, are some of the evidences. I remember, I think... Uh, <clears throat> One of the early universities in American history, uh, when an awakening happened there. Was it Yale? Anyway, um, it was dramatic dramatic in its influence into the community as well. So, um, time will tell. But I just want to mention it, because as I started, you'll hear about it in the news. And... and, um, I don't want to be hyper-negative, but I'm a little cautionary having, like I said, my very minimal research on what's actually happening here. And when you
2: talk about repentance and things like that, do you wonder what would be the response to
0: someone getting up and reading Romans chapter 1? Hmm. Hmm. I think we take up an offering and uh, send send George over there to... to, to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's, that was a, that's an interesting comment you know uh, yeah. yes
1: we saw um, a portion of a sermon remember
0: yeah that wasn't live but yeah mm-hmm. and, um,
1: there wasn't any call for repentance or trusting in Christ it was about love and do, you, do you love me was it rather an odd sermon? He went to the the audience, and they were supposed to ask the person next to them, "Do you love me?" Oh. and um, they're sitting next to strangers, you know, a girl next to boy, and they're they're like so awkward. Mm-hmm. But you could tell that they seem to just be waiting for the band, you know, mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. praise band. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so yes, I, we did see not even that whole sermon, right? Oh, but. But we did see a portion of it, and, and we saw its ending. But we saw part of that where, you know, they would turn to each other, "Do you love me?" Do you know, you know, and all this uh, expression. But yes, I didn't hear a real expression of the gospel, uh, call to repentance. And so it's after that, and then the band, the band <laughs> pick up, and and then again, some of the students stayed and wanted to go yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I
1: think when they leave. Everything is left there. They don't don't go home with anything. So, you know, if you truly know the Lord, the Lord's going to be with you all the time. In church, out of church. But with that other, it's different.
0: A a, a more lasting fruit is evidence of genuine awakening. Uh, I saw a study one time of the track through the... Church registered church attendance in the in the colonies where the Great Awakening happened. And after the time of the Great Awakening, there was a a marked and lasting at least 10 percent increase in in church membership throughout the area. Um, And so that in other words, you know, you hear about some of these evangelists that come through uh, 300,000 people profess Christ in a town of 200. And um, where are they? You know, where are they well in the Great Awakening they were there you know and so that that's I think the Great Awakening and again the Great Awakening had excesses the Great Awakening had what you could call foolishness uh, fleshliness okay so so the fact that there are problems does not negate the possibility the Holy Spirit is moving but there are some concerns there that I'm trying to be careful, and uh, not not be too quick to uh, say this is that. Time will tell. But those are some of the cautions. Are people coming to Christ? Is the gospel being preached? Is repentance being seen? Um, that would be interesting. Okay. Yes, sir. Well, we've seen in
3: the past, you know, when uh, any time like a single attribute of God is kind of lifted up above everything else, like God is love, of course he is, then it a lot of times it comes to uh, something that doesn't last. Because just knowing that God is love is not knowing all
0: there is to know about God. He's much more than love. Yes. You know, it's been said that heresy is truth out of balance. So for heretics, for example, some have so emphasized the unity of God that they deny the trinity. Or they'd so emphasize the deity of Christ, they'd deny his humanity. You see, that's history, that has happened. And so truth out of balance um, is, is troubling. Uh, yeah. and, and especially in our culture, when you say God is love, that's, you have to start defining terms. So, um, so at least, you know, I'll be happy to talk with you more as we watch things, you become aware of things. Um happy have to talk to you more. Yes. As I was looking about
2: Cedarville, I didn't know that was I see that it's also spread to Lee University and Tennessee. I don't know nothing about that, but it also there's several references to
0: Several students have days. traveled from a number of universities to, to go in. And apparently they're lining up for hours outside to 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 go in. Um it's It's not a large university, so the chapel is filled up but and i don't yes, I don't know anything about the university. I heard I listened briefly to someone interviewing and they were, they were there from Canada so um, yeah. so that's what I know. Ready grinding of gears here, like when you're learning to drive. Okay, now we're going to change back to the Gospel of John, which is authentic, which for which I have no question or shade of doubt. This is Israel. And again, I always like to give, I think in terms of maps and history and, cr- and chronology, this is kind of a, a zoomed-in look at Israel. Um, and I showed you this map before. Here is... From Jerusalem to Bethabara, this is where um, Jesus left Jerusalem and went to where he the baptism of John was, about 20 miles, again, as the uh, dove flies.
1: <laughs>
0: this, this map is uh, more of an Old Testament map. They didn't refer to it as Canaan uh, during the time of uh, Jesus. So this map... It's a little harder to see, so maybe at least 20, I just wanted to give you a bigger picture. You can see this is the region called Judea. Here's Samaria. Here's Enumia. That's where Herod was from. Okay. And and over here is Perea. So Jesus left um, Jerusalem and came across the Jordan River to Perea, up again about a 20-mile distance. Uh, a distance on the map. Okay, How long does that take? Often we say 20 mile journey is uh, 25 miles would be a typical walking distance uh, back then. That would be a lot of laps around the shopping mall. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to show you a, um, a, a brief video that kind of um, reflects that. This comes from um, The Miracle of YouTube. And I will turn off the light to help you see it better. We had the opportunity to go
2: out to the wilderness today, you can see and the, the overlook was amazing. From the vantage point that we had, if you look to your left, which means the west, you could have seen the top of the Mount of Olives. And if you look to the right, you've been able to see Jericho all the way down. And so we're able to visualize the road. That went between Jerusalem to Jericho. It's
3: hard to put into words what the vista looked like. There are times where Barry wants to take me someplace where he hasn't been before. That's and the this road. Is one of those places. So when you get to the top of a hill and you hear Barry catch his breath, you know you found something really special. And Jesus was teaching the parables There's a certain parable that he gave When a lawyer came to test him And he was asking him what he needed to do To inherit eternal life Jesus asked him, well how do you understand the law And he answered with, well Love the Lord God by your heart, soul, mind, and strength And the second law, which is like it Is to love your neighbor as yourself And Jesus says you've answered correctly The lawyer says, I've done all of those things. And then the lawyer was seeking to justify himself and asked him another question. Who is my neighbor?
2: Trying to prove that he's good and righteous. He answers that question by telling the people a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. We're on a road between... Jerusalem and Jericho Jerusalem sits about 8 miles to our west here you can see it up on the ridge Mm -hmm. Jericho sits behind us about 6 or 7 miles and I want you to look at this road in this area it's desolate totally desolate I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't describe the road at all. The people at that time knew about this road. They knew how dangerous it was. The road between Jerusalem and Jericho would have been really hot and dry and dusty. It was a place
3: you wouldn't have wanted to have stayed for very long. This was not a hospitable place. On top of that, you would have been wounded and left on the side of that road, exposed. He was in really dire straits and eventually would have died if he didn't receive help. And so Jesus has set him up. He needs someone to assist him. And then starts to give several people that were in that position to assist and chose not to there are several people that pass him by there's a priest that sees him and passes by on the other side of the road there's a levite that sees him and passes by and the person who finally stops which would be so offensive to a jew is a samaritan and he stops and he takes care of him he takes him down to an inn. he pays for his wounds to be bound up was this person that finally stopped which would have shocked everyone that was listening to Jesus at that point.
2: Jesus is taking the next step. From the time of Abraham, the Israelites were God's family. This was his chosen people and I think by including the Samaritan in this story and by especially making the Samaritan the good guy, he's expanding that to tell the full story that he was coming to save not just the Jewish people but everyone. And Jesus just wraps up with the question, who
3: proved to be Making the point that loving your neighbor has nothing to do with proximity, but opportunity to do good to somebody who's in need. I'm Craig. And I'm Stu. And we're the founders of Akeem. We really hope that you've enjoyed the content that you've just seen. This was only made available through the generous donations of so many of you. We believe that the world should have biblically
0: accurate visual... Um, I think that's all I want to say on that. So let me. Um, so I I did some looking around, and so how how far is that in terms of walking time? Uh, a modern a modern uh, fellow who uh, do, does tours there a lot. He said he went up with a group, and it took them eight hours to get from Jericho to Jerusalem. Now, Jericho is about one and a half hours, I think, from to the Jordan crossing. So in other words, it's about a 10-hour journey. And um, so it's doable. So that's why we were thinking about it. We're saying, you know, the servant came, arrived that same day as he left. During that day, Lazarus dies after he left. Jesus waits two more days. By, on, the, on day two, the servant takes the journey back up. And frankly, I'm, you know, I was going to say it's harder to go up, but often it's harder to walk downhill. But you, but you see the conditions there—rugged. Uh, I mean, uh, barren. Ten hours, let's say, back, and um, then Jesus comes um, in two days, and he makes the journey in one day. So, so that helps us think about what was happening on each day. Um, any other comments or thoughts on the? Uh, the message of, of the passage or the details of the passage.
2: <laughs> I, I, drink when you uh, when we read that Jesus loved Lazarus, is, uh, I was going to look it up, but I took a nap instead.
0: <laughs> is that agape or phileo? You know, it's interesting because, um, both both words are used, I think, in our context. But I think, what, what verse, let's see. The Lord, the one whom you love, is phileo. Uh, in one sense, it's not the unwavering, absolute commitment love, but it's more of a friendship, affection love. And so, um, you know, that's, that's, So that's in one sense that's a warmer As as opposed to just absolute commitment Agape love Um, Then verse 5 Now Jesus loved agape So the words are almost used Interchangeably in there So both are used Um, Good point Have you ever Have someone Ask you about that issue of You know God loves me Why am I going through this or have you remember, you thought that yourself. I think it is a common and natural response. Uh, I'm not saying it's an appropriate response, but it, you can see, you know, that's one of the things. If God loves me, why is this all coming down upon me at once? Why is my child sick in the hospital? How do I understand that? And, and one of the problems is we're measuring God's love. By our standards instead of measuring our love by God's standards and also recognizing God has a much bigger picture uh, in in terms of what he's doing. But but that's why I think it's so helpful for John guided by the Holy Spirit to begin with the expression of love right from the very beginning. As he's making clear, it's it's God's love is not in question here. Um, Starting at verse three, Lord, the one you love, Jesus heard that. Jesus five. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, you know. So it's not like well, he loved the Mary and Martha, but Lazarus was kind of. He loved the whole family, and um, and God in His sovereignty allowed him to be sick and die. I was reading some commentaries, and I think more than one pointed out Jesus never met a dead person in the Gospels, that he didn't raise. You don't see him going to a funeral. He, he interrupts them. Remember the widow? Uh, Name wasn't uh, taking the, the... He interrupts the, the funeral and says, well, we're just raise this boy right up. And it said, and it went on to say, and apparently, I mean, he wherever he went, the illness just went away. So you can imagine, can you imagine the excitement? Back then, you know, doctors could only do so much Um There's so many crippling diseases, devastating diseases. Imagine when Jesus came, because when he went to that other village over there, everybody was healthy. So so that's who he is. And so with that in mind, think of Martha and Mary. Where is Jesus? When when he was in all those villages all over the place, healing people he had never met before. Why isn't he here now? But God is accomplishing His purpose, um, and you know, for the guys who've been were in our study, you know, that kind of fits into what we—the the book we're reading on contentment about, you know, rejo- you know, gladly trusting God in the midst of our circumstances, um, learning how to trust Him in His love, not by—and um, I think even the song we sang this morning, you know, the, the William Cooper song, that it's you know. Seeing God not through the eyes of our circumstances is vital to the Christian life. And we will all, I think we all wrestle with that. Sometimes I uh, come across an illustration, a story that, that I think, well, should I use this in the sermon? I decided not to use this one, but I'll go ahead and share it with you tonight just for your edification. See if I can find it. It's in my notes. Uh, this is from another, uh, someone's notes. He's saying, Madeline Rockwell wrote the following story story for Reader's Digest. Do they even exist anymore? Do they? You know, all those little stories and everything. Anyway, my grandmother, she writes, was a ball of fire, while grandpa was slow and deliberate. One night they were awakened by a commotion in the chicken house. Grandma sprang out of bed ran to the chicken house and found the cause of her racket a large black snake having nothing to dispatch it with she clamped her bare foot down on its head there she stood until Grandpa finally arrived a good 15 minutes later he was fully dressed and even his pocket watch in place well he said cheerfully to my disheveled and enraged Grandma if I'd known you'd had him I wouldn't have hurried,
1: sir.
0: <laughs> so, uh, patience. <laughs> um, any other thoughts on this passage, the message, or any other issues before we leave off? Again, I just want to underscore, I was so struck in those early verses how strongly John was making it clear God loves them. And Lazarus was sick and died. And so to me that is so vital that we get it clear, God loves me. How do I know? Well, one answer is right, the Bible tells me so. And the cross he died for me. And if he could do that for me, if and not just die for me, bear my wrath in my place. How can I for a moment question his love? And so we need to have that in our mind as we experience things. Is God good? Yes. Is God in control? Yes. Does he understand what's happening? Yes. Does he still love me? Yes. My response? I need to trust him. I need to trust him. And so um, I really believe John was spending the details, emphasizing the love for each one of them, so that we would get the message. And and frankly, we haven't gotten it yet, but, but watch for the girls, the ladies, Mary and Martha. I don't hear them questioning his love. They, just, they both affirm, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And that's true. And that's why Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because there's a display of greater glory. Just a thought, how, in, in his case, Lazarus died to the glory of God. Where's the glory seen in Lazarus' death? He's raised from the dead, right. Um, when we die, how do we glorify God? Resurrection. Okay, ultimately the resurrection, isn't it? When the the clouds roll back as a scroll, and, and with the, we join him in the clouds, resurrection. Are there other ways our death glorifies him? Yes. The way we
1: die.
0: The, the trust that we have as we're dying um, can bring glory to God. Our trust and and, um, and I think I could say, based on what we studied in Jeremiah Burroughs' book, our joyful trust. Yeah. Have Have you ever been to the funeral of a of a, of a believer, a strong believer, and just walked away, rejoicing in God? A lot of times some of those I've been to, and I didn't know the person, and I think, Oh, I wish I'd known that person, <laughs> but I missed out, uh, but isn't God glorified and and how many some have come to faith actually through hearing the testimony you know and and that's one of the things I love to see is when there's kind of a consistent message you know we don't get like differing views of who this person was, but everyone gets up and says, "Grandma." Knew and loved the Lord. The different ones. Oh, she was there to serve. Oh, you know. You hear all that, and I and and the life is really glorifying not, rather than the death. But it's a it's a chance to glorify them. And so, uh, but the resurrection is the greatest glory, and that's where I always like to. When I go to the funeral, when I when I out at the graveyard, and, and just uh, realizing, you know, this is not the end. This this grave is going to be empty. Uh, to the Lord God,
2: if this had happened. Today, you think that there would have been uh, that Lazarus had a lot of story. I saw the light. I saw Jesus, and he was coming down from heaven. But we don't hear any of that with with Lazarus after he was raised. So, did did his soul remain with him even while he was dead uh, for this particular
1: event?
0: Yes, uh, that's a hard one. So, (laughs) so did his soul stay with his body? Did he did he really go into the presence of Mm -hmm. the Lord? If he was really dead, it seems he had to, you know, that's that's the definition of death, is the soul leaving the body. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there was a, a scientist one time that um, wanted to find out how much the soul weighed. And so he had notes to the hospital, if someone's on the verge of dying, please let me know. He would come and weigh them just before death and right after death and was trying to find... The, the difference and, and so he could determine the weight of the soul now here's the problem the soul was not material <laughs> but aside from that it was a and I think it was written up in a medical journal mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but but I would say that his soul now did he remember yeah. I don't know like I would say one if he remembers poor Lazarus to leave oh, that and know. go back oh man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can see. God never spoke to his sisters again.
1: <laughs> he was looking over his
0: oatmeal at them. But uh, send for Jesus. What were you thinking? But then, but then poor Lazarus, he had to die twice. Um, that, you know, but to the glory of God. And uh, the Jews that saw it, we'll see this. Uh, that was a factor in wanting, to, we've got to kill this Jesus. He's raising the dead two miles from the Sanhedrin. You know, it's Two miles from this Temple Mount. And so, um, but, but watch for it. I think it's true to say we never hear a word out of Lazarus' mouth anywhere in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Well, a fellow with two sisters, I think that's kind of... <laughs> 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 yeah, but, but it's just an interesting thing. Yeah, what, what would happen today is wouldn't he, you know, he'd be... I was going to say he's going to contact NBC, CB, CNN... No, the first thing you he get a PR agent. Yeah, and and the books would be flying. be right. yeah, yeah. Um, you enjoy three days of flying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so all that to say, you know, um, the, 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 the one of the tests of if everything is going right is is God getting the glory. And so, at the end of it, who are they? Who are they talking about? Jesus, and and we'll see. Lazarus just becomes a problem. What do we do with it? Everybody went to his funeral, and now we're going to his house for dinner. How do we answer this? Um, yeah, and so so that's so that was the animosity towards him, but it really is all about Jesus, and that's I think that's one of the questions maybe to ask ourselves as as we're going through circumstances and maybe as we're approaching the end, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And asking, how can I point others to Jesus uh, through this? Uh, how can my words, how can my example point people to see Jesus? more we'll and, and frankly, when you're all the way down in your health, people are watching. And if you are joyfully trusted, that stands out. And, and people notice that. And uh, we need to pray for each other that we'll have that grace. Actually, my, the way to pray is that we get raptured out of here before any of that has to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Play an A. <laughs> we'll meet the Lord in the clouds. Okay. I, I really encourage you. Meditate on it. This chapter has just uh, really... it's It's been one of these sections so far that, I, again, that, you know, there's some that just really stand out and... Um, I just see, I sense the fullness of God's glory in that passage, and then I you know what one of the things that's wonderful. I enjoy that and I study, but I always feel a little uh, trepidation. How I can't do justice to this text, so I'm going to call George. I can't be there. Would you cover? Me? <laughs> so I encourage you in your hearts to really seek this passage out to uh, to get the most of it.